0: Amen, the Lord will bless the righteous. We thank the Lord for that He is a just God. who will bless the righteous. Amen. Thank you, Brother Dale. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. We ask you Lord to give ear words, consider our meditation. Lord, give heed to the voice of my cry. Poor Lord, to you I will pray. Lord, you're not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. We thank you for those words coming from the psalmist, as we just read. Lord, we live in the midst of a, a wicked world where lawlessness is celebrated and righteousness is decried where people call good evil and evil good. Lord, we live in an upside-down world where those who are believers of truth are ridiculed, are scorned, are put to shame. But those who believe lies and who spread lies are celebrated, are worshipped, are adored. Lord, your word tells us that you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. And Lord, you cannot stand evil. You cannot stand those who do evil. The boastful, those who boast in their evil, will not stand in your sight. And Lord, you hate all workers of iniquity, all those who work iniquity, all those who live and dwell in and celebrate and flaunt their sins. Lord, you hate them. And Lord, that can be very controversial to a lot of people. How can such a good God hate? Because Lord, sin is abhorrent to you. Sin is what sent your son, Jesus Christ, to the cross. Sin is what brought death into this world. Sin is what caused creation to fall also. And Lord, you hate all those who work iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. You abhor the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. And Lord, those of us in here who are believers. Are to hold to this truth. That righteousness is what is desired. It is righteousness, as your word says, that exalts a nation. Lord, our nation is not a nation. That exalts righteousness. Righteousness. Our nation exhausts unrighteousness. Our nation exhausts perversion. And debauchery. And murder and evil and hatred. And Lord you will call us. To judgment for that. But Lord we thank you that. Even though man is sinful. Even though man is unrighteous. Lord you still provide. The way out. Through your son Jesus Christ through the free gift of salvation that is granted to all who believe on the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray right now for those that we know and those we don't know that men may be called to repentance, men and women alike, called to repentance, called to turn away from their wicked ways, their wicked thinking, their wicked actions, and turn to the living God and be saved. That is my prayer for us as a nation, all the way from the White House down to our local city halls and county commissions, that our leaders may repent and turn to you and be saved. And they will legislate better if they do that, Lord, if hearts are changed. Heart change cannot be legislated. It can only be done through divine intervention through the gospel. Lord, only you can change hearts. And Lord, we pray that you change the hearts of our legislators and senators and those who represent us in Washington and in Montgomery for our state. That you may change hearts, Lord, that the gospel as it is proclaimed, there are people on the ground in Washington, in Montgomery, who are spreading the gospel, who are sharing the gospel in our state houses, in the Capitol, around the White House. And, Lord, we pray that that gospel message is heard, and that it is received. Lord, when hearts change, then things can change in our nation. And then those who love wickedness will be put to shame. But, Lord, right now, wickedness is not put to shame. Witness is flaunted. It is celebrated. It is the righteous who are put to shame. But, Lord, as the psalmist says, we say, of ourselves and of our church. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lord, those of us who are righteous, may we worship you. May we turn to you as we were just singing a few minutes ago, turning our eyes upon Jesus. Lord, make your way straight before our faces. For, Lord, for the wicked, there is no faithfulness in their mouth. The inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Lord, pronounce them guilty. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions. For, Lord, they have rebelled against you. They have loved their rebellion. But, Lord, let all of us who rejoice put our trust in you. Lord, may we ever shout for joy because you defend us. Lord, that all those who hear this voice this morning, all those who love you and love your name, be joyful in you. Lord, we ask you to bless the righteous. Surround us as with a shield. Protect us from all evil. Protect us from those who wish to do us evil. Will protect all the shepherds in our area, the brothers who are preaching Your Word. All the men of our sister churches and other like-minded brothers, Lord, that You protect them, bless them, bless their congregations. Bless Bob and Carlton and and Phil and Anthony and Brother Steve and Brother Goldberg and Josephus and Sylvester and and Brother Josh and. And Brother Cody, Lord, bless bless all these men who are leading their churches, leading the flock of God. Surround them, surround their members. Help these men to continue along with here to profess and proclaim the truth, hold forth the gospel, dig our heels in and stand on your truth and not turn to the right hand or to the left. Father, thank you for your word this morning. As we continue preaching through Ephesians. Fill me with your spirit to teach this text well this morning. To do your word justice Lord. To speak your words and your words alone. And Lord send your spirit to illuminate. The truths that we will hear this morning. Illuminate the text to us. May the text drive the sermon. And Lord use this message this morning to. Encourage the faithful. To give us strength. Strengthen us by your word and also to convict sinners and bring them to a saving faith in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Man, so let's, uh, we're back in Ephesians. We're doing part two of our message from uh, last week as we're looking at the first three verses of the second chapter of the Children of Wrath, part two. Uh, last week I dealt with primarily the first verse of this chapter. And we want to continue uh, uh, our exposition of the second verse and then go on to the, the third verse. Uh, hopefully, that is the goal uh, this morning. There's so much to unpack in these verses. It may seem like man's just one verse, but there's so much truth to be unpacked uh, in this as we look at what it means to be uh, dead in our sins and uh, trespasses. So again, we're just going to read the first uh, 10 verses as we did uh, last week and then come back and just kind of recap what we looked at last week and then uh, continue uh, with the message. So it says here again, beginning at Ephesians 2, verse 1, reading from the ESV. Excuse me, actually I read from the uh, New King James Version this morning. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul. And you, and remember the you are who? The saints. Going back to verse 1 of Ephesians, he's speaking to the faithful in Jesus Christ. He says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us lie together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them amen so if you notice the first three verses start off real bad then verse four says but God we'll get to that hopefully next week but first as we talked about last week we have to deal with the fact that before God saved us those of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ we were spiritually dead we were dead in our sins we were unable to come to God at any time it's just a reminder of that we were totally unable to come to God we were absolutely helpless we were powerless we were unable we were incapable to think to feel or to will anything in us to come to God or to do anything God or to have anything with God we were totally unable to do that if so we would have been saved from the moment we were born but that is not the case even a child that goes to church as I did when I was younger I was, I was taking to church I was dropped off of church I went to church as a, as a as a young kid I was baptized in church and all that when I was 10 years old I was, a, I was an usher I was in the youth choir you know, I did all those things but yet and still I was still dead in my sins although I did all those things because remember, as later on in this chapter, by grace we're we'll saved. We're not saved by works, we're not saved by being in the choir, we're not saved by being an usher, we're not saved by we're not saved by coming to church. We're not saved by reading our Bibles or, or praying to God. You know, we talk about it all the time. You, you know, you got unbelievers that say I talk to God all the time. You may be talking to God, but God is not listening to you. He's not hearing your prayers because you're spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. You are not at peace with God because you haven't been saved so when we're looking at people who are dead in their sins we must always be reminded that we ourselves were that way at one time before God saved us that we were dead and as we talked about last week a person who is dead is dead they can't do anything they can't think they can't act on their own you see a body in the casket they're dead. Now, actually you may have little uh, anomalies where a person's nerves may still do a little action or whatever, but that doesn't mean that they're alive. They're still dead. And when you're dead, you're totally helpless. You're totally hopeless. You can't do anything at all. And that is everyone's spiritual state before God. So Paul wants to clarify the fact that being fully dead, we are unable to come to God unless he provided everything including faith. We were capable in our old position of doing nothing toward God. We were totally helpless. And when we're evangelizing people, you know, you're sharing the gospel with people, especially unbelievers. They have to understand that, but they can't understand it because they're dead. Only the spirit of God can reveal that truth to them. Just as it was the spirit of God who revealed the truth to me that I was dead in my sins and that I need to be saved. Because if not, if that didn't have to take place, I could have been saved in high school. But that wasn't what happened. I was voted most religious. I think I told you all that before when I was in seventh grade. You know, I was one of the most religious people at Washington Public Elementary School because I walked around my Bible every day. I was an angel at school and a devil at home. I was. But I wasn't, I was still dead, although I appeared to be a religious person. So people can do good works. People can give to charity. You know, we all know people who are just generally like good people. We say, man, they're really nice, nice people, wholesome people. But that doesn't mean that they're not dead. Because we can assume that because they're nice people, that they don't need salvation. We can assume that because they're good good folks, good people, that they don't need a savior but they still do because it is not your works that save you so Paul is emphasizing to the Ephesians and to us that if man is not absolutely dead then Christ can't save them because what are you being saved from if you're not dead if you're not spiritually dead what are you being saved from okay so a person has to see, has to know that they are spiritually dead. If man is not spiritually dead, then Christ did not physically die because both deaths are ultimately connected in this text. Okay, both of them are. But it's hard for people in our society, especially in our culture, many believers even don't like this teaching because people desperately want to believe that they have something to do with their salvation. People want to believe that it's something about them that makes them worthy of being saved. It's it's some type of merit, some type of good in us that makes us good candidates for salvation. People desperately want to believe that. They don't want to believe that they're dead. They don't want to believe that, uh, as we read last week in Romans 3, Paul says, there's none who does good, no, not one. Because remember, when people say that a person is good, what measure are they using? If you use a man's measure, Adolf Hitler thought that he, what he was doing was good. Joseph Stalin, Communist Revolution, uh, Vladimir Lenin, that, that led to the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917 and, 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 and pushed Russia onto communism. Then Joseph Stalin comes in uh, in the early part of the 20th century, the 1930s through the 1940s and, and, and kills 20 million of his own Russian people during the communist revolution he thought that what he was doing was good for communism Chairman Mao in China Cambodia all the genocides that took place in the 20th century those dictators thought that they were doing something good so when you say that someone is good by what standard are you using using man standard if you do that's subjective a person thinks that they're good that, that it's a good to abort a baby women who murder their own children think that that's good so you see when you're thinking about measuring good you have to measure it against scripture and what God says and ultimately our good is tainted with sin you ever have a good day sometimes like man this was the best day ever well man this was a good week even that good week was tainted with sin your sin <laughs> it don't mean that you didn't sin that week there's not a day that goes by where you don't sin you're either going to sin in your thoughts your words or your deeds you're going to sin by omission or commission you are going to, and you're not even aware of all your sins That's how sinful sin is. The reformers call it the sinfulness of sin. Sin is so infectious to our nature that there's not a moment that goes by where we can't sin. We don't have the propensity to sin. That's what it means to be spiritually dead. Without Christ, without the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We're just messed up. And so then we went on to talk about the fact that uh, not only were we were dead, but we were enslaved. Looking at verse two, he says that uh, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We talked about uh, what that meant and the implications of that. You know, we have fallen humanity. So before God saved us, we. We. Walk And, and, and walk means the way that people live their lives. I know the King James says their conversation. When we walk, the walk talks about how we live our lives. We walked according to the age of this world. And when you think about the word world, we're talking about the, the cosmos. We're talking about the principalities that govern this world system. So when this passage talks about worlds, I'm talking about the physical world like the earth in which we live is talking about the the principalities the ideologies the philosophies of this world we walk according to that lust greed fear hate materialism sensuality independence relativism all of these different worldly philosophies secularism which puts man at the center All of these are the ways of the world, the 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 principalities that govern this world system. And then we talked about the the three enemies of every believer, the world, the devil and the flesh. And Paul covers them in this passage. The first enemy that we have is the world. The Bible tells us in first John, the second chapter. To don't to not love the world neither the things that are of the world. Because all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father. This world system leads us one way away from God. That's where it leads us. The age that he's talking about like, like, is, is the time that is viewed in relation to the period of time in which we're in. So he's talking about uh, the, the, the world, this, this age in which we live. Okay. So we're, walk, we're not to walk according to the course of this world, of this, of this age. Doing what the world says, do. Think about the psalm. Think about our responsive reading. What did David say? You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. But what does our world do? Our world takes pleasure in what? Wickedness. Wickedness is celebrated. If you think about the movement of sexual perversion in our country, and that's what it is. It's a perversion of God's created order. We talk about that all the time. You know, we talked about distinctions last week, that God created distinctions. All of creation, you have creation, creator of creation God is separate from his creation he's not one with his creation earth is not our mother nature is not our mother God is not in the trees and the mountains and, and and all those things it's not a pantheistic worldview that all is God God is separate from his creation he's above his creation you have the male female distinction you have the humans and animals distinction okay you have the husband wife Distinction. You have the parent-child distinction. And okay. but but what are wicked people trying to do? They're trying to break down all human distinctions. That is the thinking of the world. That there are no distinctions among us at all. That everything is the same. Erase all boundaries. Get rid of all boundaries that exist. But that is not the order of creation. So the world tries to do that. So when it says God doesn't take pleasure in wickedness, our world does the world, the thinking of the world takes pleasure in wickedness. So I was talking about the sexual perversion movement back in the maybe seventies and eighties. It was leave us alone. You know, don't bother us. What, what you do in the privacy of your home, own home is nobody else's business, right? That's where it was in the 70s and 80s. Like, just leave us alone. All of a sudden, on television, you started seeing homosexual characters being introduced. They were always funny and engaging. Yes, yeah, shows like Three's Company. Who remember the show Three's Company? Do y'all know what that show was actually about? A man living with two ladies? That's what it was about. But it was put to what? Comedy. And you laughed about it. That's what it was. Three's company. They weren't married. They were all three living together. But it was in the context of comedy. So they, they start introducing all these things. So it was like, leave us alone, let us stay in our homes. And then all of a sudden, you start seeing it on television. <laughs> the next thing you know, fast forward 30 years. We want to be married just like heterosexual couples. We want the same rights that heterosexual couples have. So 2015, Supreme Court legalizes homosexual marriage or homosexual mirage because it's not marriage. It's not a marriage, people. Jesus said himself in Matthew nineteen, A man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife. Two shall become one flesh. You can't be one flesh with someone of the same sex. Never. Just because it's legal in the law doesn't mean, well, we always say that doesn't mean that it's right before God. Just because it's legal. It's not a marriage. So, you yeah, have gay marriage passed, right? So they got their right. Now the T comes along. Y'all know what the T is. Okay? We just want to be able to live according to. You know, what we think our opposite gender is. We just, we, just we just want to be happy. Leave us alone. To so then, you have to affirm. And now you have to celebrate. And if you don't celebrate their perversion and their sexual confusion about their gender, you're called a bigot. you call called a transphobe. see how that change happens that's the thinking of the world although it is atrocious at one time the argument for abortion I remember Bill Clinton even saying this it was supposed to be three things safe legal and rare although abortion is still a sin because you're still murdering an image bearer of God in the mother's womb it was it was, it's, we, just, we just wanted to be safe, legal, and rare. That's all. Rare to the tune of over 600,000 a year. At some points, it was over a million a year. Rare. And safe for who? Not safe for the baby. We saw the pictures at Bible study uh, last year about what they do to babies in the womb. Who is it safe for? And you know what? It's not safe for the mother. It never is. But they said, we just want to be safe, legal, and rare. That's all. But now you have people doing what? Shouting their abortion. Shouting it from the rooftops. You have them now talking about killing babies up to birth and even outside of the womb. What happened to safe, legal, and rare? This is the thinking of the world, and guess what? After a while, they're gonna be saying adults can marry children. You may say, "Oh no! Come on, come on! You must be crazy." Well, whoever thought that people can a, a boy can be a girl and a girl can be a boy? That's the slippery slope of the world's thinking. I'm making a point here with this with, with this message. This is the Think of the word. This is the way we think without Christ. All these people who think like this are outside of Christ. No Christian thinks this way. No Christian thinks that way. No Christian thinks outside of the bounds of God's created order. Not a true Christian. If they say that, they're lying to you. They're not a believer. No believer can believe that a boy can actually be a girl and a girl can actually be a boy. That it's okay to mutilate your body, to get body parts chopped off, to have parts inverted to look like something that is not, to get skin taken from your arm to form an appendage to look like a man. That's the thinking of this world. That is the thinking of someone who's what? Dead in their trespasses and sins. Their minds has been darkened. That's the thinking of this world, people. That's why Paul says that at one time we once walked following the course of this world. And who runs the course of this world? He says in the next phrase, the prince of the power of the air, Satan. It is all satanic. Transgenderism is satanic. Homosexuality is satanic. Killing babies in the womb is satanic. It is energized by Satan. Satan is the author of destruction and despair and depression. Anything that leads to that is energized by the devil himself. And he wants one thing, and that is to annihilate you. What does 1 Peter 5 say? Your adversary... He says, be sober, be alert for your adversary. The devil is like a what? Roaring lion roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. That is what he's doing. He's devouring people. He's devouring the weak. He's devouring those who are in darkness, who are spiritually dead. He's also devouring weak Christians who believe this nonsense. The next thing you know, they're out there marching with those people saying trans rights are human rights. And abortion is women's health care. Reproductive justice. But it's not justice for that baby in the womb. The prince of the power of the air. So walking according to the world is the ungodly worldly principles that are emphasized in our time. In the 1920s, just one century ago, sensuality and sexual perversion was not as emphasized as it is today. It was kept in the closet. People did it in the privacy of their own homes. Think about that. Materialism is more of a problem today than it was in the 50s. People are more materialistic now. You don't think so? Ask your children or grandchildren the pressures that they're under at school to be materialistic, to not let your Air Force Ones crease. <laughs> To keep up with the latest fashion trends, I always tell my boys, they'll tell you that I was telling them just yesterday. You know, the Bible says the fear of man is a snare. You're worried about the opinions of worldly people who are walking according to the course of this world, who are under the dominion of Satan. You're worried about what they're going to say? Those that if they die today, they're going to stand before God and they're going to be judged and sent to hell. And you're worried about them? no in our unsaved state we were enslaved by the very principles that govern the unsaved people now we have to be reminded of that Alexander Solzhenitsyn he was a uh, Christian man who lived who survived the uh, Russian Revolution Uh, he wrote a book called the Gulag Archipelago and the Gulags were uh, basically re-education camps where uh, Joseph Stalin sent uh, those who were against the revolution they were basically work camps they sent them to those uh, places to work themselves to death it was called uh, the Gulags. they were basically uh, concentration camps he sent his own people to those gulags to you know, build bridges and roads and all those things in the ice cold up in Siberia and you know just had them basically working to death And he wrote a book about that. uh, I've read some of it. But this is what he said uh, in a speech. About 30 years ago. On the Soviet uh, communist revolution. And this is something to really think about. He said men have forgotten God. That is why all this has happened. Men have forgotten God. When people forget God and walk according to Satan. The result is what we see in our society. What we see in our society is what happens when our nation forgets God. For a long time in our nation there was a general Christian consensus. I mean everybody was a Christian but we had a general consensus about what was what? Right and what was wrong. It was a general consensus. If you ask people just 10 years ago Can a man be a woman? They'll look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, can a man dress like a woman and look like a fool like drag queens do? Yes. Drag queens are not that old. But if you ask them five years ago, 10 years ago, do you think a drag queen should be performing in front of children? I'm like, no, that's crazy. Why would they do that? now you have to affirm that that's why states are passing laws now banning drag queens from perform but the thing is you shouldn't have to pass laws like that but because men have forgotten God this is why we are where we are you shouldn't have to pass laws saying that men dressing like caricatures of women because they're not dressing like actual women you shouldn't have to pass those kind of laws But because men have forgotten God, they're walking according to the prince of the power of the air. As Paul says, the spirit that is now at work. He's energizing these people. You shouldn't have to pass those kind of laws banning genital mutilation surgeries on minors, on adults too, but they're going after children. You shouldn't have to pass legislation Saying that babies can have their bodies ch- children can have their bodies mutilated, but what does the world call it? Gender affirmation surgery. They, th- this is what the world does. This is what secularists do. They have to redefine language. Abortion is called what? Healthcare. Reproductive rights, not baby murder, which is what it actually is. Mutilating children's bodies its called gender affirmation surgery, gender affirmation care. They have to change language. You know why? Because this is the same in it. Let me tell you something. These people know that what they're doing is wrong and sinful, but they have to dress it up. They have to dress it up because why do they have to dress it up? Because they know it's wrong. Why else would you change the language if you didn't know that there was shame involved in mutilating a child because that child for a little moment in their life think that that they're the opposite sex. But that's the spirit that is at work in our world. Those are just small samples. Our government steals money from us and gives it to people who don't want to work. I'm talking about people who don't want to work who can work. They steal money, taxation, theft. Increase our taxes to take care of people who don't want to work. And you got people getting mad because their SNAP benefits got cut. And see, this is the thing. You know, I'm making a point here about the thinking of the world. They gave them like a $95 a month increase or something like that for uh, food stamps during the pandemic. And they cut them off, I think last month, a month before last. People got mad because they cut those benefits. But they're already getting, shoot, give me some food stamps. You know how much I spend on groceries every month? (laughs) <laughs> I, mean, shoot. I made way too much money. I don't, I, I don't want it. I'm just saying. But the point is, they're getting upset because those benefits are taken away that we're paying for. They don't have to pay tax. They don't have to file tax returns every year. And that's okay. I have no problem with that. My problem is the attitude that some of them have. Not all of them. Yeah, some of them have. Like they're entitled that you have to take care of them. You got to increase my benefits. What about living within your means like everybody else has to do? But that's the thinking of this world. The world says, you got to take care of me because I don't want to work. You want to take care of me because I want to be lazy. I want to go out and have all these babies and stay in public housing and pay subsidized rent and pay subsidized power bill and have seven, eight, nine children who are not living with their father and go get my nails done, get a satellite put on it, have a decent car, got a 85 inch TV from Sam's in their apartment, kids wearing $200 J's, dressing better than my kids. That's the thinking of this world. Before we were saved, we thought that was okay. Not all of us, I'm saying we just in general, we thought that was okay for the government to take care of people. We talked about this before. It is not the government's job to do that. It's not the government's job. It never was the government's job to do that. But now we're way beyond that, pal. We're far beyond that. Our government is spending our money indiscriminately. Why do you think we have inflation? I was appreciative for those stimulus checks, but I didn't really want them because I knew what was going to happen. We was talking about, I was working at the bank at the time. I said, man, we're going to have to pay for this. Because you can't just print money like that. People think that, that's not how money works. You flood the system with too much money, it devalues that money because you got too much of it. Yeah, we would have to get those stimulus checks, man. That six hundred dollars, that twelve hundred dollars. Yeah, man. <laughs> you know that direct deposit hit, or or that check came. You know, U.S. Department of Treasury, whatever, check came in the mail. Like, yes. Guess what? We paying for it now. Groceries, gas, utilities, everything. Interest rates are going up. They have to keep raising interest rates because inflation can't go down. That's why they keep raising interest rates. Interest rates, raising interest rates are meant to drive down inflation. But our inflation is so high that you got to keep raising it. Gas hasn't really gone down. It's hovered around $3 a gallon for over the past year. And I had to pay premium. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm just saying. I, my, my little Acre MDX out there takes premium gas. So you got to take whatever regular is and this quarter work service station at 60 to 80 cents plus that. That's why I drive all the way down to Sam's because I got a Sam's membership. And, and, you know, because I, you know, I pay a lot less at Sam's. I don't always, I'm not always able to get to Sam's. My wife telling me I'm one of the ones I'm always looking at gas prices. Always. I can remember how much gas is. But my point to all this, let me go on that rant, is that this is the same mindset that governs the world. And we as Christians ought to think differently from that. But before we were Christians, guess what? We did think that way. We thought it was okay to give away free money. We thought it was okay that people could sit around and mooch off the government. We thought it was, I'm not saying not everybody, but just in general, that's, that's just a general mindset of the world, of those who are without Christ, of those who are spiritually dead, that they think that's okay. They don't know the proper role of government and then the last thing paul talks about in here we walked according to the lust of the flesh and this is where i left off last week verse three among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh the desires of our flesh the Greek word lust basically means a strong desire. Now, lust can be both a positive and negative word according to the context. Okay, It can be a positive or negative thing. But usually in scripture, lust is negative in connotation. You think about the lust of the flesh. Excuse me. So when he's talking about the lust of the flesh, that, that qualifies the lust in which we walk in our unsaved State. Now there are four uh, different definitions of flesh in Scripture. You have two general and two particular. The first one is the whole body of mankind where the Scripture says all flesh is as grass. This refers to man in general when it says all flesh is as grass and withers like the earth. That's, that's, that's speaking of the flesh as, as, as general all mankind. And then you have the general mean the flesh that covers our bodies. Like all of us have flesh. We don't have translucent bodies. All of us has flesh and our flesh has melanin in it. I think I got a nice tan yesterday sitting in the sun at in uh in Coleman. I got a tan line on my on my leg while I was wearing my wearing my short socks and everything. But I had a hat on, so I don't know if I have a tan line or not on my head, but I, I was out to get a nice nice tan and called me yesterday sitting in the sun at the track meet and then you have the particular definitions of flesh one is the whole of human nature and this is the nature in which scripture represents as against God and Paul talks about this in Galatians 5 and 17 where the, the flesh is at war against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh and then you have The part that Paul is talking about in this passage, the the sensuous part of our nature or the the desire of the physical body. So uh, here in the third verse, Paul is speaking of that fourth one, the sensuous part of our nature, the desire of the body. We are enslaved to those sensual desires. And what are some of those eating, drinking, sex, etc.? All those things are God giving blessings, but the flesh abuses those things eating is a good desire but a disorder eating can be one of two things you can starve yourself to death which leads to uh, bulimia or anorexia or you can do what overeat and become what obese and overweight and and get all types of uh, diseases that come from that so eating is a good thing it is a gift from God we have to eat in order to live right but if it is desired in a sensuous way we can fall into one ditch or the other we can fall into the overeating or the undereating drinking the same thing the bible does not forbid drinking alcohol but it says not to drink what in excess to drunkenness I choose not drink at all period but I, I'm not going to make a law where there is no law and say you shouldn't drink at all because Scripture doesn't forbid drinking alcohol. It just forbids drunkenness or getting stupid as we say growing up or getting tipsy or getting getting a buzz or getting right. You know, that's all sin because you're, you're getting drunk. Now, casual glass of wine or casual beer here and there for those who like that, for some people, that's that's OK. But no, for, for, for those who can do that, because the Bible tells us not to sin against our conscience. For some people, they can do that. I make sure I don't put myself in context with people are drinking. I mean, does not tempt me anymore because it's been over 30 years, but I just don't like to be around people who drink. That's just me personally. But I can't look at them and judge them as Christians because that's their freedom to do that. Just like it's my freedom to not do it. And we as believers, we are to respect each other's uh, personal consciences. We're not to sin against our conscience. And we're not to cause someone uh, to stumble into sin by saying, hey, uh, well, I'm just going to get one, man. Just get one. It's not going to hurt. That's someone tempting me to sin against my conscience. So we're not to do, to do that. We're not to shame those who do it or shame those who don't do it. So that's that moderation thing. But anyway, the point is drinking is a gift from God. Sex is a gift from God. But sex is only to be enjoyed in the context of a marriage. Biblically. That's a gift from God. But our flesh says no. I want to do it when I want to because it feels good. (laughs) I want to do it because we're in love. I want to do it because I love her or I love him. But that doesn't justify. But that's that's the way our sinful desires are. We say we want it because we want it. We have a lust. we abuse these God-giving blessings. That's the way we thought when we were there in our trespassing sins. Do you know now? And I, I was listening to this uh, a couple of weeks ago that over fifty percent of couples are cohabitating. 50% of couples are living together, unmarried. Cohabitation is so high now. People are delaying marriage. The ma- marriage rates have gone down in our nation. Why? Because we've forgotten God. We've forgotten the glory of marriage and marriage being a, a picture of the gospel, a picture of Christ and his church. People are living together. More. Just If you know people like that or know other people like that, just, just think about it. More babies are being born out of wetlock now than before. It used to be that was frowned upon. Now about forty, I think forty percent total, forty percent of babies born are born out of wedlock. That means with a mother and father not married. Forty percent? Four out of every ten children? Are born to unwed mothers. It used to be a certain shame with that at one time. And it don't mean you shame the child. Okay, the child is not the baby is not the, the 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 problem. We sell we we and this is where the conundrum can be sometimes. I I know people who I love who are single moms who have babies out of wedlock. You're happy that a baby's coming to the world, but you're still sad because, and and you can disapprove of the fact that the baby was conceived out of wedlock. You can, those two things can be right at the same time. You can celebrate the fact that a baby is born or a person is pregnant because that's a baby, that's the image bearer of God, but you can also, on the other hand, still disapprove of how the baby was conceived because it was against God's order and God's design. Those two things can be held together because you don't want to send a message that it's okay to do that. But we got it so far gone in our culture and especially as Christians that we have forgotten what God's ideal is. Again, you don't punish the baby for that. Just like they talk about abortion in the case of rape and incest. You don't kill the baby because the mother was raped. You're punishing the child. No, you punish who? The rapist. You don't kill the baby because of how the baby was conceived. Because what you're saying is, just think about this. That's why we have to think biblically about these things. You're saying that that baby's worth as a image bear of God depends on how it was conceived instead of the fact that it was conceived. You're saying that you're placing a value on that baby's life based on how that baby was conceived. You know how evil that is? They can do that to a Down syndrome child when they do the amniocentesis, when they do the genetic testing inside the womb. And don't you know that's what a lot of people do when they find out they're gonna have Down syndrome baby? They basically tell the doctor, kill it. That's, that's the, that basically what you're saying. So you can say the same thing about a child who was conceived in rape. If you, you have to use the same reason. You have to be consistent in your worldview. If you say that it's okay to abort a baby because the mother was raped, the email would say it's okay to abort the baby if it's going to have Down syndrome. That's the same logic. That baby has no value in the womb. That's what you're saying. You have to be consistent in your logic, in your worldview. So we don't place any less value on that baby. But you do what? You punish the rapist if they rape the woman. You punish the person who committed the incest, but you don't punish the baby. That baby is innocent in that sense. So all of that comes from Doing things that are, are unnatural. The desires of the flesh. The, 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 the sins of the mind. The lust. Lust also can uh, include ambition. Knowledge. Independence. Arrogance. Ambition can go too far. Some people on their way to the top. They, what do they do? They step on everybody to go up. They betray people they lie they connive they steal they cheat they deceive because what they're ambitious they want to make it to the top they want to get that bonus they want to get that promotion that can be a wrong sinful desire so we're not only dead but we're enslaved to the, prin- the principles of this world we were enslaved to satanic principles and to the lust of our flesh and of our minds. Our minds weren't always thinking right. So Paul here pictures unsaved man as a corpse wrapped around and around with strong, unyielding chains, making it absolutely impossible to initiate salvation. That's the picture that Paul is painting here. But if this wasn't enough, Paul adds one more element to the picture. He says, We were condemned by birth. He says here in verse 3, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We talked about uh, last week, we read Romans 5, where Paul says, Because of one man's sin, Adam. Sin entered into the world and all are born under sin. We're born in sin, we're conceived in sin because of Adam's sin. David said in Psalm 51 and 5, In sin did my mother conceive me. From the moment of conception, from the moment of fertilization, we're in sin. Just think about that. From the moment of conception, we're in need of a Savior. It's not until we get to a certain age that, oh, now we need a Savior. No. From the moment of conception, we are in sin. We are condemned by birth. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. We were depraved. We were polluted. We were corrupted. (laughs) Evil and sinful by birth. You know, I always talk about what the viper and the diaper. You don't believe in original sin. You haven't had children. In sin, did my mother conceive me? The Bible clearly teaches that man cannot come to God on his own. Jesus said that in John 6 44, one of those hard sayings of Christ. In our natural state, we were completely dead. Again, we were totally unable to come to God. Why? Because we were under his wrath, we were condemned, we were children of wrath. That means that the wrath of God was already on us. The wrath, And when it talks about the wrath of God, it's not speaking of God as some angry God walking around, pacing heaven, having temper temp, tantrums. And the, the, the problem is, is that under the influence of humanism, again, humanism puts man at the center. That man is in charge, that man is God uh, in, in essence. And our culture has been infected with secular humanism. Remember, secularism is a worldview without God. Just like communism. Communism comes from secularism. It is a a godless religion. You have to get rid of religion. Hitler got rid of religion in Germany. Germany was a socialist uh, country. Communism. Stalin got rid of the churches. China got rid of the churches under Mao. That's why Christians have to worship underground in China, because communism is a secular religion where the state is God, where the government is God. So because of the influence of humanism. People have the notion that human beings are born into this world in a state of innocence. With no bias in their hearts, you know, we see a baby. You know, all those of us who had baby hold him in arms and say, man, this baby is just so, so innocent. And we know we get the sentiment behind that. We get the sentiment. But in a sense, they're not. That baby. Needs a. Savior. That baby needs to be redeemed from his or her sins but we believed that human beings are in general good when they're born that that, that, you know they're neutral when it comes to good and evil that every human being goes through their own like probation period and we believe that society is just people and that every individual is born innocent with no inclination towards good or evil. That's what we can believe without even knowing it. And we think maybe 50%, you know, people are going to make the right decision and right choices, right? That's what we believe. We believe sometimes that we'll find pockets of society where there are sinless people. You know, you are out in the country somewhere, you, you see folks out there. Be like, man, so you know, it's nice out here. These people can't be sinners. I mean, look how beautiful it is out here. Go out to Nancy's Creek somewhere. I love going out to Nance Creek. It's nice out there. Going up Highway Nine to Piedmont, going through Nancy's Creek, Hollinsworth Road, and all that. It's some beautiful places in Calhoun County. And you look and see folks out there. Say, man, there's some nice people out here. It's so nice and peaceful. And we think that there's no sin out there. We can think that in our hearts without even realizing it. That's what we think. But there's no civilization that can ever be found where man is born morally neutral. No one is morally neutral. There's no such thing as neutrality. Either, remember, the binary, either you are for God or you're against God. Jesus himself said, anyone who is not for me is against me. Either for Christ, and if you're for Christ, you believe in Christ. You believe that he is Lord. You trust in him as your Savior. Either you're for Christ or you're against Christ. Either you love God or you hate God. If you love God, you're going to do what? Worship the Son, Jesus Christ. You can't say, I love Je- I love God, and reject the Son. Jesus said, he... <laughs> He who loves me must love him who sent me. You can't love, you can't say I like Jesus, but I hate God. You can't say I love God, but I hate Jesus. There's no neutral people. There's no, there's no neutral worldview out there. All worldviews pick a side. All of them do. And all worldviews except for one. Are for God. And that is the biblical worldview. Every other worldview is against God. Every other worldview is. So we have to believe that those who are without Christ are children of wrath. And that they are born opposed to God. And that is why they're exposed to the wrath of God. And every single person who is not in Christ is against God. They may not say it, but they are so when we think about wrath I'm going to explain this and then we're going to close when we think about wrath or anger it's not the type of anger that we think of like I said some type of arbitrary anger where God is having temper tantrums because our anger is, is, is often sinful although the Bible says be angry and don't sin right but our anger is often sinful we can be blinded by our anger sometimes Sometimes we can so, be so blind about anger that we cannot see what is true and what is untrue. We become irrational. That's why someone may murder someone in their anger. Why? Because they become so blind to what's true. And they act on it. Our anger is often self-centered. We feel like we've been wronged. Sometimes we can get angry when we're the one who wronged someone. And we get mad because they got mad at us. <laughs> Our anger sometimes can be self-centered, but this is not the type of anger. God's wrath is altogether different. His wrath is not like ours. God's wrath is not self-centered. God's wrath is a judicial righteousness that express his full opposition to those who sin and to those who live a sinful way of life. God has a judicial righteousness righteousness That means it is a just righteousness, that God is just in his anger against sin. What did the psalmist say that we just read this morning? For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. The inward part is destruction. Their throat is no grade, They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. That's David pleading to God's righteous anger, his righteous judgment against those who love wickedness. Because God does have a righteous anger. He has a a anger that is just. And he is the judge of all. And he is the one who is perfectly righteous, and he is perfectly holy. And he sees things as they really are. And God's justice demands his judgment of condemnation on all those who sin his justice demands that that is what we mean by the wrath of God being on those who are spiritually dead when I was spiritually dead before God saved me guess what his just wrath was on me and mine deservedly so because I was a hot mess but you don't have to be a hot mess to be under the wrath of God if you're not in Christ guess what you're under his wrath right now and the thing is, those who think that they're so good that they don't need Christ, they're in an even worse position. They're going to incur even greater judgment because they think that somehow their good works, instead of the work of Christ that he did on the cross and dying in our place for our sins, they think that their good works are what's going to get them into heaven. But it's not. Amen? Amen. So just a couple of questions here as we get ready to end. Do we have compassion for the lost? We should. Those who are unsaved, we should look at them with pity. Why? Because they are dead. They can't help themselves. They can't help but sin. Just like we couldn't help but sin when we were unsaved. That should give us compassion for them, but that compassion should lead to evangelism. Pleading them to come to Christ. You need a savior. You need to be redeemed from your sins, that guilt of your sins that you fear, that condemnation. You need to be saved from that. You can't save yourself from it. You can't do anything about that. We talk about it all the time. That's why people medicate. That's why they go to drugs. That's why they go to sexual perversion. That's why they go to abusing their bodies. Why? Because they're trying so hard to get rid of their guilt. They can't shake it. Because they're dead. And it is the job of us as believers to show them the light of the gospel, which is our next point. When we understand our form of bondage and their present conformity to the course of this world, It should help us to show them the light of the gospel. It is our jobs as believers to shine the light of the gospel on them. We do it with love. And guess what? Don't be ashamed to do it. Don't fear their response. Our job is to share the gospel with them. Come to Christ and be saved. Start with your loved ones. It means, oh, there you go again. I'm tired of hearing that Bible stuff. Well, guess what? They still need to hear it because their soul is at stake. Because guess what? When they pushing up daisies, it's going to be too late. The Bible says it is appointed unto every man once to die, and after that, judgment. Their life is worth it. It is worth letting them know, turn to Christ. You ain't got to get into no argument with them. Just tell them, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. Because God is calling out to them to do the same thing he's calling out to them. In the middle of the night when they're on TikTok instead of going to sleep. He's calling out to them. Turn to me. But they keep ignoring that voice. Remember. The day that you hear his voice don't harden your heart. And that's what we are called to do. To shed the light of the gospel on those who are dead. Amen. Let us pray as we close. Father. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you have redeemed us. Lord, there are those this morning who are listening to this, who will listen to it. Those who are watching on Facebook. Who are still yet in their sins. I pray, Father, that you may bring them to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we have loved ones, we have friends, we have family members, we have co-workers who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who are living according to the course of this world, who are energized by satanic influences. Lord, give us the courage, the biblical courage, to lovingly confront them, to just say to them, turn to Christ and be saved. Or just tell them Jesus saves. Just a simple gospel message. And just leave it at that. Just let them know Jesus saves. Turn to Christ. And Lord, may you use those simple words. To convict them of their sins. To change and transform their hearts. And call them unto yourself. Father, thank you for your word this morning. May you use it to strengthen us and encourage us as believers. Encourage the faithful and convict sinners. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.